Thank you. Thank you, Rebbe Ari. Such nice words. I feel a little, um, I was going to talk about how early this is for me to get up on a Sunday morning, but Francine is here from the West Coast and it's 6 a.m. and shame on me for still feeling like I'm half asleep, but so be it. I am forever on the West Coast. So it's really 6 a.m. for me, you guys should just know, because I grew up there and that's where my clock, inner clock aligns with. I'm always in that part of the world. So um, if you have any questions, you are always welcome, of course, to use the chat and I will periodically look at it. I'm not necessarily, you're going to get my attention by like raising your hand, but if you chat with me, I'll try to keep that open and look at it. I, so Rabbi Ari spoke about that this is, we are learning today in honor of the Rebbe's 26th yard site. It is shocking for me to imagine that it's been 26 years since I, um, I don't know if some of you know that the Rebbe was in the hospital before he passed away. And I had just gotten back from Israel. I had spent the year there. And my, one of my closest friends lived two doors down from 770. She was an only daughter. She had three brothers. And she was always caught up in everything that was going on with the Rebbe in, a, in the way the boys were, the Bahram. And it was, she was always like right on the money. So there was news that, not, you know, people were around the clock saying Tehillim, Psalms for the Rebbe. They would go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital, we said Psalms, we came back, we were sitting in the car talking and it was, I don't know, late, late midnight or, or past. And then we went into her house and we got the news that their bed passed away. And we had all, I'd never done this before. I had both my parents, Baruch Hashem, thank God I still have both my parents. We, we actually um, ripped our clothing right there. We, um, we did Kriya for the Rebbe and it was just, um, it was, it was just such a confusing and painful time for all of us. I actually had a wedding that night. My first cousin, who was also an only daughter, was getting married, and her parents had this just magnificent wedding planned for her. But we were all, as you can imagine, so distraught. And we had gone through the Rebbe's funeral and everything, and we came home, and I got dressed, and I just put on any old outfit. You know, I wasn't even interested in going to a wedding. And I remember I showed up at the wedding and my father's like, you go home and you change and you put on your wedding clothes because we're at a wedding now. It was again, that like feeling that you could be in two places at the same time. So we came to the wedding. There was no music at the wedding. We all danced to clapping and singing. And it was just the most bizarre feeling of being at my cousin's wedding and mourning the Rebbe. And it was, and in the end, the photographer lost all the pictures of my cousins, like as if the wedding never happened. It wasn't, you know, it was just, the whole thing was so bizarre. And I will not forget, will not forget though, my father's message to us was like, you, you can, you sometimes have to be in two parts of your heart and mind at the same time. And a human being can handle that and an adult can handle that. So that was a really strong message to me. And I think that speaks about a lot of what we're going on, what's going on today in society. So um, to jump right in, I'm going to, I want to talk about the Rebbe's um, favorite topic because this is, it, we'd be remiss not to talk about this and I'm sure the other presenters will talk about it too, but we stand here 26 years after the Rebbe passed away and we have not yet realized the totality of the Rebbe's dream, which is our topic today, the hope and the destiny, and in other words, 
Mashiach, because that is the big word that was what the Rebbe's life's work was about. Now, when you hear the word Mashiach, first of all, it's like impossible to say, <sighs> comes out of your mouth, and it's like cringy to say, and it's cringy to think about, because it's the, is it the Messiah, and isn't that taken from another religion, and are we supposed to believe in Mashiach, and what is this? And besides the fact, why was the Rebbe so obsessed with Mashiach? Why are Chabadniks obsessed with Mashiach? And is this even a Jewish topic? Now, some of this might be familiar to a lot of you, so I'm just going to go through, try to go through it quickly so we can kind of see the overview of, and the reminder of why this is so important to us and why this even has to be on our hearts and minds on a daily basis, all the time, this concept of Moshiach. We want Mashiach now. So Mashiach, the redemption, is the time of everlasting peace and goodness. And the Rebbe spoke incessantly about this. And following his lead, the Chabad movement put a lot of emphasis. The Rebbe, every time he spoke, he ended off with saying that we should be reunited, that Mashiach should come. And so, and how do we kind of reconcile this talk of utopian era in the face of all the negativity and challenges we see in the world right now, especially today, I don't even know what today is, June something, and you know, there's sickness in the world, we're in quarantine, we're coming out of quarantine, there's civil riots rioting again, there's, um, there's, there's talk of change, there's unrest, we're really kind of peeling back the onion. I feel like every day is something that used to be so, oh, whatever, you know, just thinking about Stone Mountain. For example, I had a conversation with my children. It's like, Stone Mountain, why, why would we ever visit Stone Mountain? Like, we're just realizing things that we took for granted. And we, you know, Decatur Square just took down a monument for, um, for the, that, that represented the Confederacy. And what did that represent? Just things that we just took for granted as being part of normal society. We're really getting to the of that lately. We're just kind of unpacking and saying, this is not okay. Look what this represents. So um, I want to try to roll this all into seeing Mashiach as the Rebbe did and also looking at the world through his lenses and trying to think what would the Rebbe say about is happening right now. So um, again, the Rebbe spoke about Mashiach incessantly. He was obsessed. You would be hard pressed to find any address that the Rebbe does not talk about Mashiach because the Rebbe spoke about it so much. And, um, and this is not something that the Rebbe came to later in life. This is actually something that happened, started when the Rebbe was a small child, his obsession with Mashiach. And you can hear there's a letter that the Rebbe um, wrote to the second president, his name was Yitzhak Ben Svi, and the Rebbe wrote in the letter, from the day I went to kindergarten and even earlier, I began to weave in my imagination the picture of a future redemption, the liberation of the Jewish people from its last exile, a redemption of such magnitude that it will allow us to understand these and the So here you need to understand, the Rebbe is a small child and he's living under Stalin in Russia. There is famine, there is hunger, they're post-World War One. they're pre-World War II. Can you hear me all? Sandrine, I can see you. Can, you. can you hear me? Give me a thumbs up. Okay, thank you. Talking about the Rebbe is having these dreams of, a, of utopia and understanding the pain. So on one hand, the Rebbe has dreams of utopia and he's living in communism that he can't practice Yiddishkeit the way he wants to. So he's 
of utopia when there's no even image of utopia and he's dreaming of a world where we'll be under, able to understand the reason for our pain. And the Rebbe knows pain better than any of our children would know pain today. So it's very fascinating that this is the Rebbe before he even went to school, before he was even introduced to these concepts. He's three, four years old, and he's already thinking about this Mashiach thing. So now if you fast forward, when the Rebbe became Rebbe in 1951, he's, his mission statement was, that he is going to bring Mashiach. This is what it's all about for the Rebbe. He says, um, he says, the task that is now demanded of each and every one of us in this generation, as we stand at the conclusion of the final period of exile, is to complete the process of drawing the essence of the divine presence into the lowest realm. So here, all of a sudden, it gets very, you know, spiritual. What the Rebbe is saying here is that our job is to take this esoteric lens of viewing the world and bring it right down here. And this was, again, the Rebbe speaking, post-Holocaust, poverty, the Jew, um, for Jew, most of the Jewish community that the Rebbe is shepherding and the Jewish community at large is small in numbers. It doesn't have a lot of clout or power. And the Rebbe is saying that we are going to create this utopia in a spiritual sense, but it has to also come out in a physical sense. It's not just going to be a spiritual utopia. And um, so this was the goal that the Rebbe set to reach the ultimate purpose that all of humanity has been striving for for thousands of years. This is what, you know, if you think, um, if you read anything about the shtetl, if you read Talmud, if you read, go back, go as far as we, as far as we know, since the very beginning, we have been yearning for this Mashiach and the Rebbe confidently got up and said like this is the time it's going to happen now and it almost seemed like post the six million jews dying post the holocaust post nazi germany it was the hardest time and the rebbe like took a huge swerve to for an upturn and the rebbe just spoke endlessly of this i'm gonna admit two people here welcome okay so um so now, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable to think about Mashiach. What is this Mashiach thing? Is it only a Chabad thing? And I know some of you know this. If you've been to Ari's classes, you've heard this, but I just want to take a minute to talk about that the obsession with Mashiach is not about the Rebbe. It's not about Chabad. It's about Yiddishkeit. It's about Judaism. That um, when you look at classic Jewish teachings and even standard Jewish practice, you see that Mashiach is Judaism-centric, or I would say Judaism is Mashiach-centric. So look at two daily practices, eating and praying. So at the, um, if you know that in the morning, we wash our hands and then we wash our hands before we eat bread. The reason we wash our hands today before we eat bread is to remember that there will be a time once again where we have a temple and we will again need to wash our hands before bread, aka Mashiach. So every single time we are washing our hands for bread, we are preparing ourselves for Mashiach. So even though it's been 2,000 years, we don't have a holy temple, but we still do this every day to remind ourselves of the imminent arrival of Mashiach. Now, imminent in Jewish time is really late, but hopefully every day closer. And then we, we recite the Birkam Atamozon and we thank Hashem for the food we ate. And right there, the third blessing is again devoted entirely to asking God for Mashiach. So before we sit down and when we conclude a meal with bread, we are again, it's all about the redemption. And then if we look at the daily prayers, the highlight of the prayers is the Amida. We say it three times a day. 
And the Amida consists of 19 blessings, three opening, three concluding, and 13 in the middle. And of those 13, five are devoted to asking God to bring Mashiach. And again, in the after, that's the morning prayers, five times asking God to bring Mashiach, and the afternoon prayers, and the evening prayers. So it's safe to say that between eating and praying, the Jew is asking for Mashiach constantly during the day. And this is something also, um, it is consistently featured in Jewish literature, and we're not going to study all the sources, but we will just bring up some sources that about Mashiach. So I will just tell you very quickly that um, that the uh, let's see where that source is. That okay, it says that the Maimonides in Mishnah Torah says that. The King Mashiach is destined to arise and renew the Davidic dynasty and restore its original sovereignty. He will build the temple and gather the dispersed of Israel. At the time, we will observe all the mitzvahs as we did in the days of yore. Now, this is very key because Maimonides is mainstream Jewish philosopher who codified our the way we practice Judaism, all 613 mitzvahs. One who does not believe in the concept of the Mashiach or does not await his coming and rejects not only the statements of the prophets regarding the redemption, but all... But he, he rejects not only the statements of the prophets, but also the Torah and our teachings of Moses. So this is pretty serious, that if you do not believe in Mashiach, you are rejecting um, all of Torah, okay? So it's not a Chabad thing. Let's just lay that to rest. It's a Jewish thing. Yet sometimes we feel uncomfortable with this concept because um, it's, it's just almost impossible to lead, to believe people don't like change, right? And it sounds like Mashiach is going to be a big change. So we'll talk about that. So now, so what is Mashiach? Mashiach is the end goal. It's the purpose of creation. The way I see it, it's the penultimate maturation of the world. So whatever the world needed to go through, its infancy stage, its childhood stage, its rebellious stage, its teenage stage, all of that it needed it needs to go through when God created the world. The ultimate of how we're going to see it is this like sagely maturation of the world. So if you think about history, right, can you see that perhaps the world is at a stage where it is continuously maturing, right? We're, we, we watched, just think of, we'll mention some of these pieces of history, but the world is constantly maturing. And if you look at where we stand today, it's like you can feel that maturation happening. You can feel that we've come so far. I call it sometimes peeling back the onion, just, just letting everything be exposed. And you think of like being mature. You're no longer hiding behind masks. You're just, you're there. Okay. So um, the world may look like a jungle, but the world is not a jungle. It's a beautiful garden that is perfectly in sync with its higher purpose, which is why Hashem created the world to reveal godliness, but not, but Hashem created the world and he's right away hid himself inside the world. And that's kind of what, and that's what Mashiach is, is bringing those two together. The, the same thing with a human being, we are not flawed, we are not broken, we are beautiful, but again, it's Mashiach that's going to show that to us. So what would you say if you could immediately see the truth of the, what the Rebbe said, if we could see the reason for our pain, if we could see the reason for all those things, if we could see the reason for why we 
why did we need to go through suffering? Why do other communities need to go through suffering? Why are we going through this quarantine right now? If we could understand that, the reason we don't understand that now is because we're not ready to understand that and have the empathy that we need to have for the people going through those things. But if we could see that right now, that would be Mashiach. Um, you know, if you think, if we lived with the perception with understanding everything, we would, on one hand, we would get along with everyone, right? Because we would know what everyone's purpose is. Mashiach is the time when everything will be apparent to the naked eye. The day when the facade is ripped away and the true, beautiful, godly nature of all things will be opened and revealed. That is Mashiach. The Mashiach is the actualization of living with purpose. We're able to see inside the soul of a person, see the garden, understanding the purpose of a mitzvah. We see into our souls. We see into the pain, into the brokenness. It is recognizing the light, the unity. It is no longer seeing fragmentation. Right now, we see a lot of fragmentation in the world. When Mashiach comes, we are seeing the unity of what the world. So the fear of Mashiach is thinking that Mashiach is some apocalyptic event or Armageddon. I remember when we were children, Mashiach was very much a part of our lives. We grew up as Chabadniks. But I would say to myself, if we were planning a trip to Disney, if my cousins were visiting, if I was going somewhere, I'd say, Hashem, don't send Mashiach until after I get there. That was my perception of Mashiach, that things would change, and I wasn't sure they were changing for the good. But if you look at what happened just over these last three months, you can see that the world can shift in a second, and maybe it wouldn't all be so bad. Maybe it would be more of this, this existential shift, the entire world, but maybe that shift would all of a sudden be this light, this awareness. So I think we have, I think now more than ever, personally, I've never been able to understand the shift that how Mashiach will come so clearly because of what, how we all just went into this quarantine without a question asked. And we all, and I'll talk about more about what that represents. So the, so understanding that I guess what I'm speaking about here is that everybody will recognize Mashiach and everybody accepted one truth, which was the truth of this coronavirus, the entire world. I mean, on you know, there were cynics about it, but nobody had a choice but to go into quarantine and stay healthy and safe. Okay. So um so Mashiach is not Armageddon, it's not the coming of a new world, it's just bringing out the truth of what is already in our world. So that's a big difference. It's, it's seeing your child and their struggle and being able to really work through it with them because you understand the purpose in that struggle. So it's, it's understanding things deeper. It's the, the maturity of being able to live with the reality. So um, the, the Rebbe spoke about the powerful, how powerfully, um, we can make this shift for ourselves is when you look at the words gola, which is galot, and geula, which is redemption. So we're talking about a shift that's going to happen that has been happening because we've noticed the world change. And if anyone hasn't noticed the world change, just look at pre-corona, post-corona. Look at what I mentioned before. Just I think what's going on with the with all the civil rights action right now is a beautiful example of what is changing. Things that we didn't understand two months ago 
are being enlightened for us today. Maybe I'm the only one, but I didn't think much about certain things. And now I'm looking at different communities and saying, wow, that is true. That hasn't been right. This is not okay. So just that realization, I'm not getting political here. I'm just saying on the human level, to be able to connect to people and understand their plight in a different way, that's been a shift like this for people. So it happened just overnight. We went into quarantine overnight. We went out of quarantine overnight. We went in for one reason. We came out for another reason. And the quick shift is that galut and ge'ulah are the same word. They mean entirely different things. And the only difference in their word is one letter. And that one letter is Aleph. And that one letter represents Aleph, which is alufo shel ad olam, which is God. It is Aleph, the echad, the representation that when you see fragmentation, when you see this doesn't make sense, or this person's awful, or this person's ruining my life, or this person's making everything bad, everything is from Hashem. Everything is part of God's plan. And understanding that and that being revealed to us, that is redemption. That is Mashiach. It's not a new and strange world. It is the true essence of the world that we know, the essence that resonates deeply within us in the moments of truth, godliness, unity, oneness. So King David in Psalms, he's not saying, he says that Mashiach is not a dream come true. He's saying that our current state of exile is a dream. When Mashiach comes, that's when we've woken up from this dream. We have been like dreamers, but when Mashiach comes, we have woken up from the dream. Mashiach is the reality of the world. We're living behind the mask. Quite literally today, we are living behind the mask. That's what, that's how Hashem created the world on purpose. And what did he want us to do? He wanted us to reveal it. So we're going to talk about how do we remove the mask. Um, so Mashiach is a time when the world's beauty is exposed for all to see, a time when the, human, when the human's beauty is exposed. So ask yourself, do you want a world that is peaceful and in sync with its beautiful core? Do you want it to see the beauty with, within yourself, within your spouse and your children? So if you are shaking your head and saying, yes, I want that beautiful world. I want that beautiful world where we can all get along, where everybody's treated the same, where everybody is loved the same, where everybody is viewed in the image, the way they were created. And each one of us is created in the image of God. No difference between not one single human being in, in there and how Hashem created them. We all have maybe different purposes in this world. And maybe we have different obligations towards the world. If I'm a mother, I have one set of obligations. If I'm a doctor, I have another set of obligations. But we're all created within the image of God. So if you say that you want to see this world, then you want Mashiach. That is wanting this, this world that is called Mashiach. So now that we understand what Mashiach is, we can, we can appreciate why the Rebbe was obsessed with this, because the Rebbe was your ultimate optimist. Your, the Rebbe was your ultimate move forward. The Rebbe was the op, the opposite of somebody who felt like um, a victim to things. The Rebbe was empowered and the Rebbe wanted to empower us. And the Rebbe actually saw, the Rebbe was so, I mean, when you think about it now, I didn't appreciate it when I knew the Rebbe and when the Rebbe said these things, but the Rebbe really saw the world through a different lens. The Rebbe saw the essence and the inner beauty. We saw things happening and we kind of, but the Rebbe was trying to point to it. And the Rebbe was saying, for example, when the Iron Curtain fell, and this was 70 years of torture and, and hunger and, and 
abuse of humanity. And it just fell in one night and there was no war and there were no shots. I mean, there were shots years before, but the Rebbe was like, wanted us to notice that. And I think that, you know, looking at what happened in Corona, this is the first time, you know, I'm not saying that we're not suffering terribly right now and people have been stuck in their homes and people have lost jobs and people are, you know, I lost my uncle during this time. So I'm not saying we haven't suffered through this time, but the fact is that the entire world for the first time ever united in this concept of saving lives. Once upon a time, a short 70 years ago, Stalin killed a quarter of his people. What happened in China? There was, there was people, um, governments and, and leaders or so-called leaders were tyrants and they just, they wanted to accomplish their ism and they killed people as a result of this. And this is the first time that we weren't worried about the finances of our world. We were more worried about people's health and their safety and their well-being. This is, this is, never happened before. And I'm sure the Rebbe would say that this is another example of, of the shift in how we view humanity, that we care more about humanity. And there are people who fought this, you can be sure. People felt like, let the people who are gonna die, die, and let the economy stay stable. The economy is more important. But the overriding end result was that, no, we're gonna worry about people's lives and people's health, and we're gonna, and the economy is going to wait. This is not something that has that has ever happened before. I just had a thought. Okay. So, um, okay. So, anyone have any comments or questions? I want to pause for one minute. If you want to type something or, oh, I can worry that talk about this. I worry that the little restoration of the temple can lead to violence. Okay, so um, the you don't need to worry. The temple's not being rebuilt in in the current situation. The temples. Somebody wrote here that they worry that the the temple being rebuilt could lead to violence. Obviously, Temple Mount. It's so it's so fraught with um, politics and and emotions. I don't think that the temple's being rebuilt until we have that view. So when the lens changes, when people can see the reason for a temple needing to be rebuilt, everybody will get in on this. Everybody together will say, yes, we need this temple rebuilt. Let's build it. Okay, so, um, so we're passionate about Mashiach. We want Mashiach to come. Everybody wants to be able to see the reason for what we're going through, why we're going through it. Why do some people need to suffer? Why do our children have, why are our children home? I mean, we can take the smallest suffering to the largest suffering, all of it's going on now. So what can we do to change this? So the Rebbe in all of his idealism, Judaism and all of its idealism is all about action because where do we live? We live in this world. We're not angels in the sky. We live in the world of action. So the action that is done, it's always connected to mitzvahs. So because a mitzvah, any mitzvah is the thing that can push the scales. If, we're, if the scales are even right now, we're, we learn from Maimonides, we learn from the Rebbe. The Rebbe brought this to our attention from Maimonides, that one action, you always have to think to yourself, I'm lazy, I don't want to do it, and then think to yourself, one action. That's what can tip the scales over to that awareness, to that godliness, to the whole world flipping. Just think about it. It was one action that brought us all into quarantine. It was one 
whatever happened there, it was a tiny microscopic cell that none of us could even see. And that is something that affected the entire world. So think of our mitzvahs, think about our good deeds, think about our connection to God as being that exact thing on the spiritual side of things. And what we're trying to arouse here is a spiritual awakening. We're trying to get those spiritual lenses. We're trying to be able to see the spiritual behind the physical. So we have to take that course of action, which is mitzvah, which is doing the things that can bring Mashiach. Think of yourself, one mitzvah can bring Mashiach. So that's in general, all the mitzvahs, there's 613, we don't practice all of them today, but there are specific mitzvot that, the, that are connected with bringing Mashiach. The first one is tzedakah. The Talmud says that tzedakah hastens the redemption. And the Rebbe encouraged that everybody should have a charity box mounted to the wall in your kitchen, in your home, in your car, at your work. And it is taking our hard-earned money and giving it away to a good cause, it rips away the facade in a powerful way and reveals the deeper purpose of the money and the effort it took in earning that money. So every time you take even a quarter, a penny, a dime, a dollar, and you, it's not about the amount you get, it's about the concept. It's the fact that you're willing to part with this money. You're saying, I earned this money, I'm so physical, I did all the physical things, but, and it makes no sense right now because maybe all I have is a dollar and I'm gonna give one penny of that dollar away. So it's gonna lessen my dollar right here. And it makes no sense for me to do this. That's ripping away the facade of physicality and showing the spirituality or showing that there's something deeper to this purpose. The second thing is, is loving your fellow. Avat Yisrael. The Rebbe said countless times that by increasing unconditional love for each other, we will bring Mashiach. The Talmud says that the temple was destroyed due to baseless hatred, and by reversing the cause, we can also reverse the effect. Also, loving the other unconditionally is the product of seeing their essential goodness as opposed to their surface. So again, we're saying that I'm in my act of loving you unconditionally, I am ripping apart that facade. I am taking away that physicality and I'm going straight to the spiritual. So it's that muscle memory of taking away the reason for my money and going straight to the spiritual, taking away the, my, our reasons that might separate us and going straight to the spiritual. No, it's that we were created, we were created in the image of God. If I don't agree with you, I'm still going to love you. And then, there are the seven Noahide laws, which are specific to the other nations of the world. And the Rebbe really strongly encouraged, you know, a, a non-Jew might not have Kiddush, they might not have tefillin or mezuzah or kosher, and they don't need to have those, those mitzvahs. It's not part, it's not, again, remember we spoke about duty. Uh, you know, the doctors on this call have a certain duty. I was going to say it's their duty to wash their hands and wear a mask. Now it's our duty too. See, duties change sometimes. So... The duty of a Jew is certain mitzvahs, the duty, and this is how Judaism views the world through the lens of duty. It's not about, it's not about rights as much as obligations. Like I am obligated to bring myself forward. I'm obligated to make this world a better place. So the Rebbe really encouraged the seven Noahide laws and teaching them. And all of us have people in our lives that are Jewish and not Jewish, and we can educate the world in those things. So it's part of the Jewish mission to be a light unto the nations and have a positive influence on every human being to live a, mor a moral, decent, and godly life. So in that way, 
all of humanity is consistent with their essential truth. So if we are, again, we're, we are living, you know, I think it was, I don't know, he was on the radio and he's talked about finances. He said, you got to live like no one else. So you can live like no one else. It was, he was talking about, you know, um, who was it? It was a guru on finances. I used to hear him on the radio. So it's the same thing. We got to live like no one else so we can live like no one else. We have to live a spiritual life so that it can actually be a spiritual life. So, um, so now the, the last thing that I want to speak about is that the Rebbe didn't just speak about doing things to bring Mashiach. Okay. So we know Mashiach is universal. It's important. It's the, it's the essence of why we were created. It's the essence of, of Hashem created a baby world so that it can mature into this mature world. And then it would be ready for the godliness to immerse itself. And we could see the godliness in the world, right? We have to be ready for that. But the other thing the Rebbe said is that it's actually imminent. So how did the Rebbe how, how would the Rebbe get away with saying it's imminent? You know, there were times where people said it's imminent and it was, it was tragic for the Jewish people when we thought that the world, that Mashiach was here and, you know, the times of Shabtai Tzvi and everybody kind of went off the deep end. So um, <clears throat> the Rebbe looked at modern events and based on that, the Rebbe said that, at, at, the, the Rebbe said in Yiddish, at, at, Mashiach. Mashiach is at our doorsteps. So what was the basis of the Rebbe's insistence? That, so God created the world in a way that the world itself conceals the godly truth contained in it. This veneer and facade, it needs to be softened so that the truth can emerge. And if you look at what this means, that the world looks like it's ungodly, the world doesn't proclaim its true essence, it doesn't say, I am godly, but when we come and we take, we do a mitzvah, then we're exposing the godliness. When we look at current events and we see that the world is more aligned, just like I said about, you know, closing for going into quarantine for Corona and recognizing that human health is more important than our economics or our idealism or what we believe in, but taking care of human life and caring for each other, that is the ripening, and that is the exposing the world to softening the world to this vision. It's, we don't live in a time where children are, you know, once upon a time you had child labor, we had slavery, we had all these things that were just an accepted part of life. We don't have that anymore. I'm not saying it's perfect, but we are getting more and more to those eyes to recognizing that human beings have value, that people are to be given rights they're to be treated equal we don't we don't live in a caste system anymore um you know if you think about it rome the romans were the most powerful country when the romans were the most powerful country they built the Colosseum. their entire entertainment industry was built around watching slaves watching people mauled thousands and thousands of people would come together and a person was mauled and the the, the audience was asked to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down Well, it was at the end of that person's life, whether they should go for one last kill or leave them alone to, to recuperate. I don't know if they made it out of there, but that was a normal part of life. Kids working in factories was a normal part of life. 
We don't live like that anymore. So you could say at the essence we have, and why don't we live like that anymore? Is because we see the godliness in another human being. We see the godliness in creation. So we are, we are more ready. You can't deny that our world has, again, the world I like to use is matured. We've got to open up our eyes and look at the world this way. And that's really what the Rebbe wanted us to do. I think we have another um, text here that I can read about this. So the Rebbe says, the Rebbe said this at a gathering, we have now reached the point where the physical body and even the materiality of the world is completely purified and refined and is receptive to the divine light and all spiritual revelations. This especially includes the light of Mashiach, the light of the true and complete redemption. The only thing that remains for us to properly open our eyes, if we do so, we will see that all is ready for redemption. The Rebbe felt so strongly about this that we, that we, we're, we're ready for this. We're ready to take it in. So I think, you know, each of us on this call, like when we hang up, think about, am I ready to accept that we live in a more, in a, in a world that has accepted and I want to start viewing my world in this way, not as a victim, but as an, uh, that I'm a source of light, that I see other people as a source of light, that we have who to gain from. Um, okay, so, um, so the Rebbe, the greatest test of our generation, the Rebbe once remarked, was that our temptation to settle for all forms of false messiahs in order to numb our pain. Even this statement that the Rebbe said, if you look around and the, the concept of recovery has never been more open and people have never been more open to this concept of addiction and why do, what, what, are, what is this point of numbing our pain? We are, again, we're maturing, we're peeling back the onion, we're trying to understand humanity and why people are a certain way. Once upon a time, we looked at an addict and we said, oh, they, they've got their problems and you know, we threw them out into the street and we didn't think there was any point in rehabilitating them. We don't look at people that way anymore. That is Mashiach eyes, to be able to see the goodness in somebody else's struggle. Okay, so um, again, so if this, the world is definitely moving itself towards Mashiach, if a microscopic germ brought the world to its knees and not a single fire was shot, everything changed for the entire world the first time in modern history that the entire world is more concerned with public safety and health than fighting wars and ideology, you have to imagine that this is the beginnings of Mashiach. I want to um, tell a story now, and I think with that story, I will be done. So this story was heard by um, Rabbi Aaron Lipsker. He's the director of Olive Institute in Bell Harbor, Florida. And what Olive Institute does is it visits prisoners all over the world, all over, uh, all over America, US, and it helps bring whatever these prisoners need if they need any kind of spiritual guidance, and then it helps rehabilitate them as they come out of prison. So it was the summer of 1995, one year after the Rebbe's passing, and Aaron and his friend Shlomi Grossman were traveling across Florida on a mission for the Olive Institute, visiting Jewish inmates, inmates in jail. When I was growing up, one Passover, we had five inmates join us, for the Passover Seder. They had all just been released from prison. It was quite fascinating. One evening, they were running out of gas and they also needed to find a place to stay for the night. As they drove through some backwoods, backwater towns near Daytona, some 250 miles north of Miami, they found a gas station. A man who seemed like the owner 
A big and burly guy filled up their gas tank. As he looked at them, he asked them if they could accompany him to his back office. Now, these two Hasidic young men, probably skinny, scrawny, they said they didn't know why, but they agreed to go with this burly guy in the backwaters of Florida. They said to themselves, like, we don't even know what we're doing to be taken to his back office. But for some reason, they just went along with it. So Arn and Shlaimi followed him to the back office of the gas station, and there was an old man sitting there. The young man, the big burly guy who had just filled up their gas, he turned to the older man, he pointed to the two yeshiva students, and he said, Dad, they came to get you. So the yeshiva students were like dumbfounded. They were like, is this some kind of sick joke? It seemed crazy. So <laughs> here they were. What do you mean? Like, is it a bad thing we came to get him? Is it a good thing? So Aaron, who was, the, who was witty, he replies, so the old man, sorry, the old man turns them and he asks in Yiddish, Vem and Zaytir, who do you belong to? Like, where are you guys from? So Aaron replies, we are Rabbi Schneerson's boys. We're Hasidim of the Rebbe. The Rebbe wanted each of his pupils to try and help every Jew in need. So we have been traveling this week to visit Jewish inmates in the area <coughs> to help them do a mitzvah and help give them inspiration. So the boys realized that this is a Jewish man. He spoke to them in Yiddish. The man burst into bitter tears. It took some time for him to recover. He told them his story. His story began before the Holocaust when he was a newly wedded young man and he was a Hasidic man. He was from a family in Eastern Europe. And just as he was about to start his life, his entire family, including his parents, brothers, sisters, and wife were transported to the death camps and murdered by the, Jew the Germans. Out of his whole family, he was the sole survivor. My grandmother was also the sole survivor of her entire family. He survived in camps, the camps, but he was completely devastated. He came back to America. He settled in Williamsburg in the Hasidic community, but he was just disgusted. He was like, how could you guys continue with this Judaism? God forsake us. He was angry. He was bitter. He was broken. And he was determined to leave behind every trace of his Judaism. So he went to Florida. But the town he was in had a reform synagogue, and he said, no, this is not far enough from my people. So he moved further into Florida, and he ended up in a small town near Daytona with nothing Jewish with him at all. He married a Gentile woman. He had three sons, and one of those sons was the one who filled their gas tank. Years had passed for this man, and he could not sleep one night. He turned on the TV, and I don't know if anybody here remembers, I don't know if anyone here remembers that the Rebbe used to be on cable TV. And the Rebbe had talks that, and there would be Yiddish, the Rebbe was talking, and there would be English subtitles to the Rebbe's talks. And his, so this man is living in the backwaters of Florida, nothing to do with his Judaism, and he discovers on cable TV a bearded Hasidic man speaking in Yiddish. He was stunned. He had not heard his language in decades. His childhood memories kept him glued to the screen, as you can imagine. And he listened to the rabbi speak for a very long time. The subtitles that scrolled across the screen said that, the Laba that this was the Lubavitch Rebbe, and he was addressing the audience for a far bring-in at 770 Eastern Parkway. So he, um, <clears throat> okay, so suddenly, all of his Hasidic memories came to his forefront and he was taken, overtaken by deep emotions, but he knew it was too late. He had made his choice decades earlier. I am lost to my people forever, he thought. And then he heard the Lubavitch Rebbe say on the screen, and it is actually something the Rebbe would say <coughs> 
very often. This is what the Rebbe said. We were promised that God will gather every Jew one by one, taking each of them by his or her hand and bring them to the ultimate redemption. No Jew will be left behind. When Mashiach comes, God will gather everyone from where they are, no matter their level of observance. No Jew will be lost to our people. This man felt the Rebbe was talking directly to him. His words made such an impression on him that that morning he gathered his family and he told them, I am Jewish. At first, they didn't know what he was talking about since they had never been in contact with any Jews. He explained to his children about his past, about his Hasidic upbringing. He told them about the Holocaust. And he told them that one day the Rebbe promised Mashiach will come <clears throat> and God or, or some Jew is going to come get him. That is why he concluded when you came here, my son said, Dad, they came to get you. So Arn and Shlomi sat with this older Jew and sang Hasidic melodies from his youth. They came back the next day. They put tefillin on with him. And they kept a connection with him. The year later, he had passed away. So this remains the legacy of the Rebbe. In our final journey from exile to redemption, no Jew will be left behind. Not even a Jew in Daytona. And I want to just leave you off here with, it is a matter of right now, it's a matter of shifting the way we look at the world, having those eyes, which with it, it's when you see things are very, very difficult, say these are the, these, this is the final maturation stage. This is the final stage we need to get to for Mashiach to come. Look at it with those eyes, and then you can start seeing that things are changing, hopefully for the better. I believe they are for the better. I believe that you, a part of, nature, or you could say how Hashem created the world, is that we always need to go through difficulty in order to come to goodness. The um, cracks are where the light comes through. The broken heart is the, the strongest heart, all those cliches, but it's really, this is, this is us getting to that time when we can open our eyes and see that Hashem is here and the reason for his creation. And hopefully um, I gave you something to think about in honor of the Rebbe and his obsession with Mashiach. You too can be a little obsessed.